Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, February 25th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the Biden administration signs an executive order addressing the chip shortage. I'll tell you why this is evolving into a big deal. Coinbase files its S1, so we get to look under the hood of their business for the first time. Paramount Plus reveals pricing and content details for the first time. And timely, interesting raises in the Ethereum space actually really means NFTs. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. The Biden administration has signed an executive order mandating a 100-day review of critical supply chains. Yes, some of the concern here is that they want to make sure we never again have shortages of critical things like masks and other PPE or materials necessary for mass vaccinations, say, pharmaceuticals, even food. Basically, they want the U.S. to be less reliant on overseas sources for critical materials like these. But also, There's a heavy tech angle here, quoting the Wall Street Journal. The executive order mandates a 100-day review of supply chains for four areas. Semiconductors used in products from cars to phones, large-capacity batteries used in electric vehicles, pharmaceuticals, and rare-earth elements that are key to technology and defense. Pharmaceuticals and rare earth elements that are key to technology and defense. The executive order wouldn't fix the near-term chip shortage, White House officials acknowledged, but the hope is to produce a longer-term plan to help the federal government prevent future supply chain problems. They are separately looking for ways to ease the backlog facing U.S. automakers. While White House officials said the executive action isn't aimed at one particular country, it comes as U.S. interest rises in combating China and fostering ties with other supplier countries. China dominates the rare earths market and is a major player in other supply areas, including pharmaceuticals, end quote. Yep, several things here. I'm leading with this today because this is an ongoing story that I feel like is evolving into a bigger deal. Silicon as the new oil. There was a time when you could bring your country's adversaries to their knees by cutting off their strategic energy sources. In World War II, Hitler invaded the Soviet Union because he was a murderous asshole, but also because he wanted to capture the Baku oil fields. In the last few years, countries are waking up to the importance of strategic access to, well, tech. In the trade wars of the last few years, China has been shocked into action because they realized, while they were the workshop of the world, it meant little if they didn't have a home soil semiconductor industry. The U.S. and some other countries in the West are fearful of China because China dominates the tech behind cellular networking. And now, simply because of a supply crunch, simply because every industry is the tech industry now, and it's no longer just putting chips and computers and phones, it's cars and friggin' everything, now there are fears that the economy itself is being held back simply because we can't keep up with supply and demand. Here are headlines just from the last few weeks. The recent storms in Texas caused Samsung, NXP, and other chipmakers based there to shut down some factories, potentially worsening ongoing chip shortages. Taiwanese chipmakers are buying water by the truckload for some of their foundries in drought-hit areas of that island. As widening restrictions on water supply are affecting them, literally, a drought in a country is a competition between people needing water and silicon factories needing water. The EU 
with less than 10% of global chip production, has had its industries hit hard by this recent chip shortage and is now seeking strategic autonomy via new fabs and alliances. In other words, another sort of Manhattan project, like the one in China right now, to become functionally chip independent. And all that doesn't even get into China having internal access to most of the key rare earth elements. There are always vague threats of China potentially cutting off access to those elements as sort of a nuclear option in any trade war. The whole EV revolution is weaning our society off of oil, right? But you can't have an electric vehicle revolution if you're cut off from the minerals that make a battery revolution possible. The point I'm making is that the stability of the last third of the 20th century was completely upended by the simple fact that raw materials, especially oil, were in certain parts of the world, and the vast majority of the consumers of those materials were in other parts of the world. It was sort of inconvenient. I think I've mentioned I've been reading those Rick Perlstein books about the Ford administration and the Carter administration, and it's fascinating to connect the dots and see to what degree the oil shock and the inflation shocks and the stagflation shocks of the 1970s still affect the policy that countries pursue to this very day. Is strategic tech, and at this point in time, strategic silicon, the geopolitical concern of the 21st century? What would it mean to Silicon Valley if tech companies and startups are increasingly caught up in a geopolitical great game where they are the very focus of the chessboard even more so than they already have been. Coinbase has officially filed its S1 in preparation for a direct listing on the stock market. And as we say, when we finally get an S1, we finally get to look at what sort of business a startup actually has. Quoting Decrypt. The recent Bitcoin bull run helped Coinbase pull in a profit of $322 million on revenues of over $1.2 billion in 2020, putting the cryptocurrency giant in a strong position as it prepares to sell its shares to the public in its upcoming direct listing on the NASDAQ. Coinbase's 2020 profit of $322 million compares to a loss of $30 million in 2019, and its 2020 revenue jumped 140% from the $533 million it earned in 2019. The jump is not surprising, given that Coinbase earns the bulk of its revenue on trading commissions and that interest in cryptocurrencies surged late last year as the price of Bitcoin rose from around $10,000 in September to over $30,000 by the end of the year. Bitcoin is currently trading around $50,000. Coinbase says it has seen $456 billion in lifetime trading volume on its platform and has 42 million active users. It has more than $1 billion of cash on hand, which helps explain why it feels no pressure to do a traditional IPO, and claimed to have $90 billion of crypto assets on its platform as of year-end 2020, which represented an 11.1% share of the total crypto market. Around 70% of that was Bitcoin, end quote. As Dan Primack said this morning in his newsletter, Coinbase going public should help further legitimize the whole crypto industry, particularly among institutional investors. So lots of hot trends converging here all in one thing. A tech IPO riding the hot trend of crypto. As Dan says, Coinbase can also claim a more legit unicorn title than most because it's actually profitable and meaningfully so with decent margins. Because of the confluence of all these things, 
something to keep an eye on here. Everyone in Silicon Valley now is expecting Coinbase to debut with a valuation around $100 billion. If it doesn't hit that mark, that could be a sign that the fervor for tech debuts is cooling. But if it's significantly above $100 billion, Katie, bar the door. All right. We now have the details on Viacom CBS's streaming play. Remember, it's called Paramount Plus. And we now know that it'll run you $5 a month with ads or $10 a month without ads. We knew that Paramount Plus was going to launch March 4th, but that's the ad-free tier. The $5 with ads tier doesn't come until June. So sort of in the middle of the market in terms of pricing, basically, right? Quoting Engadget. According to Viacom CBS CEO Bob Backish, the, quote, mountain of content coming to Paramount Plus includes more than 30,000 episodes of TV shows, 2,500 movies, and 1,000 sporting events available via streaming. That's before the 36 original series planned to launch this year, including a new reality series every month and the long-in-development Halo series that had been headed to Showtime. Paramount is planning to stream select movies within 30 to 45 days after their theatrical release, with other new movies coming to Paramount Plus 90 days after their initial release. That includes flicks like A Quiet Place Part 2 and Mission Impossible 7, which will premiere 45 days later. Paramount Plus will also be home to a new Beavis and Butthead movie, a weekly series from Daily Show host Trevor Noah, and the return of Inside Amy Schumer. The streamer will also be the first place viewers can see Star Trek Prodigy before the CG series airs on Nickelodeon, a new Rugrats series, and it's finally getting a revival of Frasier that will once again star Kelsey Grammer, end quote. All of this was revealed at an investor event that was held yesterday, and I found this detail from that event interesting. Quoting CNBC, The most important point company executives referenced, one that will define the success of the service, came fairly late in the nearly three-and-a-half-hour Investor Day event. Viacom CBS showed a slide showing the uptick in the average amount of subscription streaming services to which American families subscribe. That number, the company said, has gone from one to two, in 2016 to two to three services, in 2019 to three to four, in 2020. Viacom CBS suggested it won't be long before households subscribe to five or more services. While seemingly a throwaway comment to illustrate the growth in streaming, that one point is actually the crux of Paramount Plus's argument for existence. It's highly unlikely millions of people are going to cancel Netflix, Disney Plus, or Amazon Prime Video just to subscribe to Paramount Plus. Can Paramount Plus become the world's fourth most popular subscription streaming service ahead of Hulu, HBO Max, Peacock, and Disney Plus? End quote. Yes, that's the question. And it basically codifies what we've been talking about, saying there's only probably going to be four chairs available in this game of streaming musical chairs, and we know that two of them are already filled by Disney and Netflix. Viacom CBS wants to suggest that there might now be five or six chairs available, but they'd better hope so, because those two remaining chairs that I see look really, really competitive. P.S. We also learned that paid streaming subs for Showtime and CBS All Access, the two entities that are being rebranded into Paramount Plus, climbed to 19.2 million in Q4, up from 17.9 million in Q3. So, given the competition, relatively pretty far behind the leaders. Oh. 
whenever I need to do financial research for this show, for instance, during tech earnings season, when I have to analyze how various companies' stocks have been performing, I only ever turn to our sponsor today, Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. I've been shooting a lot of market numbers at you recently just to reframe how we're thinking about various things. This isn't quite as strategic as some of those other numbers when all is said and done, but I just find these numbers fascinating because they're always so big. The FCC has revealed that for its 5G licenses auction, Verizon spent the most of any U.S. carrier with $45.5 billion bid, followed by AT&T with $23.4 billion and T-Mobile with $9.3 billion, quoting Bloomberg. The budget-stretching bidding underscores how crucial these so-called mid-band frequencies are to companies trying to seize global leadership in emerging 5G technology. The airwaves are prized for their combined ability to travel far and carry lots of data. They are expected to drive years of growth when deployed for next-generation mobile devices, autonomous vehicles, healthcare equipment, and manufacturing facilities. In addition to the airwaves licenses, winning bidders also will pay an estimated $13 billion or more to current users of the airwaves, including satellite providers Intelsat SA and SES SA. The satellite companies will move to different frequencies to make room for the 5G providers, end quote. Remember, we're skeptical how long AT&T is really going to stay in the streaming wars, if the seats, again, are limited, and when they have to pony up $23 billion just to have the infrastructure they need to do the business that actually makes them their money. You really think they're going to be willing to spend the tens of billions of dollars every year needed to create the content to really take on Netflix? I don't think so. Finally today, let's end with three interesting raises that are interesting enough and timely enough that I didn't want to hold them for the interesting raise episode that we'll do in a couple weeks. First, Sorare is an Ethereum-powered marketplace for creating and trading football NFTs. And by football, I mean soccer. So, you know, look, the NBA can't have all the NFT fun, quoting the block. Sorare has raised $50 million in a Series A. The round was led by venture firm Benchmark, an early backer of Uber, Instagram, and Twitter. Benchmark's general partner, Peter Fenton, has also joined Sorare's board of directors. Sorare CEO Nicholas Julia told The Block. Other investors in the round include venture firm Accel, 
Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian, and Barcelona striker and Lionel Messi teammate Antoine Griezmann, among others. With fresh capital in hand, Sorari looks to expand its current team of 12 to 30, onboard the world's top 20 football leagues onto its platform, start making efforts, and launch a mobile application by year-end, Julia told The Block, and, quote, we see NFTs as a trillion-dollar market with several winners, Julia said, end quote. So there's that. Yes, still working on an NFT bonus episode maybe next weekend. So as I think we've mentioned before as well, NFTs are largely built on the Ethereum blockchain, which makes sense if you understand that Ethereum was designed to be more than just money. It was designed to be almost a software-like infrastructure layer on the blockchain. In the most maximalist view of what Ethereum could do, backers believe that Ethereum will power an entire internet 3.0 away from any sort of centralized powers at all. Well, to do that, you're going to need Ethereum to be way more robust, which leads us to, interesting raise number two, Optimism, which plans to help scale the Ethereum blockchain with a Layer 2 protocol, and which raised a $25 million Series A led by Andreessen Horowitz. Quoting the block again, Optimism is currently in the midst of a phased rollout and will be ready for large-scale production later this year. We are thrilled to partner with Optimism and to help support the Ethereum ecosystem as it continues its rapid growth, Chris Dixon and Ariana Simpson wrote in a blog post from A16Z. Optimism is developing Optimistic Rollup with the aim of boosting the scalability of Ethereum. Optimistic Rollup is a scaling solution that aggregates transactions into a Layer 2 protocol. The startup's work is perhaps particularly relevant today given the high cost of transacting in Ethereum. Optimism rolled out its preliminary mainnet last month after going live with a limited test network in September, end quote. Yeah, whenever we get around to talking about NFTs, we'll probably need to remember to talk about the huge amount of gas fees that you have to pay just to get your hands on that NFT video of LeBron James. And by gas, I don't mean petroleum. I mean the fees, the pricing value required to successfully conduct a transaction or execute a contract on the Ethereum blockchain platform. Those things are going to need to come down if Ethereum really is going to explode like everyone thinks. And finally, Every time Chris and I have done a clubhouse these last couple of weeks, someone at Otter AI has posted a live real-time transcript of our conversation on Twitter, and it's been insanely good, like extremely accurate. You might remember me experimenting with Decrypt last year, but I've experimented with every audio transcription service under the sun, and Otter is basically the best I've seen so far by far. Like, it's very precise, even in things like clubhouse rooms where there are multiple speakers talking on top of each other. So I took notice of the fact that Otter AI has raised a $50 million Series B, quoting VentureBeat. There's no shortage of competition in the audio transcription market, which is estimated to be worth $31.82 billion by 2025. But Otter AI, formerly AI Sense, the startup behind speech-to-text service Otter, has managed to carve out a niche for itself in the five years since its founding. The company... The company's revenue skyrocketed 800% in 2020, as Otter saw adoption in more than 230 countries, and the company says it has transcribed over 100 million meetings, spanning 3 billion minutes to date. Otter AI was founded by CEO Sam Liang and VP of Engineering Yun Fu in 2016. 
Liang led the Google Locations team that developed the Blue Dot on the Google Maps app and launched mobile startup Alohar, which was acquired by Alibaba in 2013. Otter AI's core technology, which was developed by a team hailing from Google, Yahoo, Facebook, MIT, Stanford, Duke, and Cambridge, is optimized for conversations. It can distinguish between speakers using a technique called diarization generating a unique print for each person's voice. Transcriptions are processed in the cloud and made available from the web, in Dropbox, or in Otter AI's mobile app for iOS and Android devices. There, they can be searched, copied, and pasted, scrolled through, edited, and shared with a word cloud at the top of each recording that tracks most used terms. Otter's high accuracy is a result of the algorithms that enable the app to learn, a spokesperson told VentureBeat. These were especially focused in the early days on English speakers with a variety of accents, regional within the U.S., and also optimized to address accents like Liang's and the billions of English speakers on the planet. Liang had always been frustrated that accents were not understood by natural language processing systems, end quote. So I want to thank listener Mark Cohen for pointing me toward a 52-week high stock screener. And this is exactly why I was interested in doing this. It's already borne fruit. For example, did you know that Sonos stock has been rocketing lately, like tripling in just a few months? Apparently, the pandemic has been good for Sonos, and the whole move towards smart speakers, far from making Sonos redundant, might actually be a case of rising tides lifting all boats. And we spoke about CBS Viacom on the show today. You heard my whole skepticism around Paramount Plus and whether or not there is room for them in the streaming market. Well, investors apparently don't agree with my skepticism because that stock has almost doubled just since the start of the year. So see, all I did was do a quick cursory search through a list of companies hitting 52-week highs recently, and it helped color our narrative and look out for early signs of trends in tech. So that's great. It turns out there are a whole bunch of these type of stock screeners out there. But again, what I really want is some sort of like automated service or email that gets sent out every week or so that like filters out the signal from the noise. For example, like, okay, Oracle hit a 52-week high today, but it's not like some sort of a trend because their stock is not taking off or going hockey stick. It's just the normal random walk of what a stock does over a year. What I really want is like a regular report that's like, yeah, Bank of America hit a 52-week high today for the first time, but Sonos has been hitting 52-week highs regularly. Like they hit new highs 45 times over the last 60 days. Something that would rank the frequency with which companies are hitting these highs. If you know of something like this, please point me in that direction. And if it doesn't exist, does anyone want to build that with me? I kind of feel like that's a tool people might pay for. Could be a nice little niche subscription software product. I'm completely serious. Get in touch if interested. Talk to you tomorrow. 